last week. And so they inspected it. I'm still waiting for another one to come this Friday. So, and uh, basically we're, we're working on it. So, and uh, we got the two rooms closed off. We did get that one nursery cleaned back up. And so we're still, we're, we can use that one nursery that we used before. So, um, and then also just a couple things in here. Don't forget about some of the things. I know you guys know about some of these things, but don't forget um, about our Bible quest, uh, Crewmen's for Christ Kids Ministry. And, and that's both on Sunday and Wednesday, Sunday at 1030 and Wednesday at 7. Our Wednesday uh, youth group, if you're signing up to feed them, uh, uh, that's well appreciated. Don't forget about our men's breakfast coming up February 17th at 830 a.m. in the Fellowship Hall. And on February 3rd is our men's Bible study at in the Fellowship Hall at 830. And then a couple other things, Heart to Hearts coming up February 20th at 6 p.m., Prime timers, this this coming up just this Saturday, uh, noon, right in the fellowship hall, and uh, food will be provided. And then a couple other things. Don't forget about uh, the wedding this Saturday at 4 p.m. for uh, Jacqueline and Jacob at the Ponda. I almost said Panda on Sunday. I'm so glad I didn't do that. It's, it's Ponda. It's just the ponds. Uh, <laughs> is, it just the ponds? is it ponds? I think it's the ponds. Oh, okay. So, all right. Well, I, I don't know. And no, that's fine. Okay. I'm going to put an S in there. Ponds at Maple Farms. And, uh, and then January uh, or March 3rd is our a missionary. And we're going to have a missions banquet. It's 4.30. So we've, we figured out a time it'd be 4.30 that afternoon. Um, and then March 23rd is our Easter egg hunt. And then the Brother Wooten, our district superintendent, will be here on the 24th. All right. Did you all get all that? Okay. Would you please stand? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful night that we have to come together. Thank you for the warmer weather. Uh, Lord, we, on, we want to honor you in our prayer and in our worship. We want to focus our attention on you. Lord, it says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And run the race that was set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we do that tonight in our worship in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to move so you can move. Come and do what only you can do. I want to live in expectation of your kingdom breaking through. I want to move so you can move. Come and do what only you can do. I want to live in expectation of your kingdom breaking through. My hands are open. My heart is free. Open the heavens. Rain down on me. Fall down on me. My hands are open. My heart is free. Open the heavens, rain down on me, fall down on me. Yes. And I want to come to you in boldness by your power. I receive, I want to live in expectation with you. I'll do greater things because I believe in greater things. are opened. My heart is free. Open the heavens. Rain down 
I never want to go back. 
before him Moses said I want to see your glory Lord Moses was hungry for God the apostle Paul I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection Paul was hungry for God Father make us hungry tonight make us hungry for your presence that you're all that we need in this life Lord you're all that we need. You're the air that we breathe. Lord, you said that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God, you're the one that sustains us. Even David said that, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want or lack. God, I pray that you would make us hungry for your presence tonight. Give every single one of us here tonight the hunger, even those listening online, the hunger for you, a passion for you, a desire for you to know you deeper and more personally than we've ever known you before. And let that be our heart's prayer tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Boy, I love that song. It's not just the song, it's what it means. And uh, both those songs, um, both of which were part of the Brownsville Revival and the Toronto Blessing. And so it always brings back a lot of memories. How many of you guys know this and remember some of that, that music? So, well, good evening. It's warmer. It's not so cold out. It's nice to thaw out a little bit. We're supposed to get close to 70 this week. I don't know if that's true. You know, they call those weather predictions, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a little bit warmer weather. All right, we're in the book of Daniel, and uh, last week we were in chapter 8. Uh, this week we're in chapter 9, and we're going to read just the first 16 verses. We're going to be looking at Daniel's prayer tonight, and I've just titled the message. Of course, we're in the series, A man, Godly Man Who Remained Faithful, A Prayer of Repentance and Intercession. So we're in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 16, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going we're to dive into this tonight. So uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. 
So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we, are, we and our kings and our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord, Lord God, be, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey, to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing, us, bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. And we're actually reading to verse 19. Now, O Lord our God, who brought you your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins, the inequities of our fathers, have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Father, as we study about prayer and intercession and Daniel's prayer and intercession, Father, how can we apply this Old Testament prayer to our life? I pray that each of us will take it personally, that we will see that prayer is important. Lord, we see in the scriptures that we're to pray without ceasing. That we're, prayer is our communication with you. It's our fellowship, our relationship with you. So, Father, speak to us tonight about prayer. Show us what we're supposed to do. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the Lord's Prayer as a template. And you've given us prayer in the Bible as a template. And so, Father, I pray that, again, speak through me as your vessel. I can do nothing apart from you. Lord, pour out your anointing on each of us tonight. Open up our ears to hear. I get out of the way so your spirit can speak in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to be talking about prayer of repentance and intercession. But before we can understand what uh, those two words are, uh, we got to understand what, what the background of this is. Israel had gone into captivity for 70 years. And because of their sins. And I think I might have already told you this, but it was what, the, what we call the Shemitah years. Remember me telling you about this? Every seven years, they were to let the land rest 
and, and, and allow the, the, the soil to replenish itself. And two, it was, it was a time of rest because God created the heavens and, and the earth in what? Six days and on the seventh day he did what? Rested. They were to follow what God did and God was their example. Not only did they do that, but they, they followed after idols. They turned away from God. And so, so God brought them into captivity, into ba the Babylonian captivity. And you'll see that in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. So if you read those two books, you'll see that. And, you know, God, God is not a respecter of persons. If a nation turns from him, he will judge them. Uh, so we need to be praying for our nation, right? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but it's, I, I've seen it change a lot, even just in my lifetime. I could just imagine some of you guys of how it was when you guys were kids. And my mom and dad tell me that when they were kids, they didn't even have to lock the doors. And so nowadays, if you don't lock your door, you're in trouble, right? So again, God is, is, it had brought judgment on him, and then Daniel goes to the Lord in prayer. Now, this is right after God gives him this vision uh, this, this, uh, after three years in the reign of Belshazzar, and now he's in the reign of King Darius, and, and God gives him this, and he starts to pray to the Lord. So what is repentance? To change the way you think and act and go in that direction. We call it doing a 180. In the military, we call it an about face. You remember that? You were in the military, John. It means, to, to, and, and, you, and you know that from the Air Force. And so it means going in one direction and turning around and going in the opposite direction. The second thing is, what is intercession? It's praying on behalf of another person. You're interceding for other people. And so that's what Daniel does in this prayer. It's a prayer of repentance, not only for himself. Now, we would look at Daniel. Daniel's righteous, right? He's a blameless guy. He serves God. But how many of us know that it doesn't matter how perfect we are, we still what? We still sin. And so he prays a prayer of repentance for not only himself, but for his nation. And he prays a prayer of intercession for his nation and for his people. We need to do the same thing for our nation. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, right? Everybody should know that prayer, right? How many of us know that scripture? If my people who are called by my name will do what? Turn from their wicked, humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and do what? Heal their land. Our land needs healed. It's divisive. There's inner fighting. There's, I mean, I've never seen our country so divided right now. We need to pray for it. The division is just crazy in the, in the stuff that goes on. And so Daniel is doing the same thing. He's interceding, and we need to take that. We need to intercede just like Daniel did. So Daniel did, the first thing he did is he turned to God. He turned to God. Look at verse 2. Daniel searched the scriptures. Look, look at verse 2. I, Daniel, or in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So Daniel begins to search the scriptures. God, how long are we supposed to be here? He goes to the Bible. He goes to what the things that were written. I searched the scriptures, and there it was. Notice the word scriptures is capitalized. If you need an answer from God, go to the Bible. Go to the scriptures. You need an answer for prayer? Go to the Bible. Search the scriptures. And so Daniel did that. That, that. That's what we're supposed to do as believers. As mature Christians, if we have a question about something, we go to the Bible. Okay, God, what do you have to say about this, right? You need plans. You're making plans. I don't know what, what direction to go in, God. Uh, Proverbs 16, 9. For many are the plans of a man's heart, but God determines his what? His steps. 
right? Uh, God, are, do you really love me? Well, yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How about this one? God, do you have good purposes for me? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. That's why it's important to get the word in your heart so that you know what God says about your situation. And so that's what he did. He prayed. He, or he sought the scriptures. Let's go real quick. Hold your spot here and go with me to Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. So Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Okay, God made a promise. Does God keep his promises? Yes, his promises are yes and amen. God always keeps, God doesn't lie. So if God says he's going to do something for you, he's going to do it. Uh, if you've been praying and God gives a word of knowledge and usually God will confirm it over and over again. Oh, by the way, your kids are going to come back to the Lord and, and you've had it said over to you three or four times from four or three different people. I, I know I went kind of weird and backwards there, but you get my drift, right? He's going to fulfill it because God keeps his promises. God will fulfill it. And so he says here, he says he's going to, he says, I, I have, I'm going to fulfill my gracious promise. I love that. Gracious means favor. Promise to you to bring you back to this place. Now look at verse 11. We all know this. I just quoted this. For I know the plans I have for you. Okay, put your name there. Put your name in there. For I know, and people will say, well, that was just for Israel. Guys, the Old Testament points to the New Testament. There are certain scriptures in the Old Testament that apply to us. So why doesn't the whole Bible apply to us? Right? So he says, for I know the plans I have for Marcus, or I know all the plans I have for Julie, or, or John. I'm going to say all your guys' names just for fun, right? Lisa and James and Dennis and Curtis and, and, and Ron and Kathy and Carol and, and Sarah and Jesse and, and, and Sherry and, and, and Rick and, and, and Gary and uh, 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 Randy. Boy, I had to sit there and think for a minute. I, had, I wanted to say all your guys' names on purpose because God has a plan for us. And he had a plan for Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. God's plans for us is not to harm us. Even the difficult trials that we go through are to build our faith. I hated taking tests in school. I was not a good test. You know what, who taught me how to take tests? The Air Force did. I got into the Air Force I took the army tests, no offense, John, I know you were in the army, and for anybody that was in the army, and I, I did fine for the six, first six weeks. I got into the Air Force and took the test, and I failed, and if you fail twice, they wash you out, and then you got to go do another job, and I thought, well, you know what, I'm not getting this. I failed all my quizzes. I don't know how they didn't wash me out already, and finally, I started thinking, well, maybe I need to start buckling down and studying. So instead of going out and having fun, I would sit there in my room and study the night before, and guess what happened? I started passing my tests and my quizzes. But I hated tests. Listen, trials are tests to test your faith. They're not easy. And they're not, they're, there's no guarantee that it's going to be uh, uh, tough. But God's plans are not to harm us. 
Remember, this was a test for Israel, 70 years in captivity. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Did you know hope and faith work together? Hold your spot here and go with me. We're, we're going to come back to Jeremiah, so hold your spot in Jeremiah. You're going to have a lot of scriptures. Maybe you had a lot of, lot of uh, uh, bookmarkers here, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hope and faith work in concert with each other. They work together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we what? Hope for. And certain of what we do not see. You take hope from somebody, their faith will start to tank. Right? So you got to have hope. You start losing hope. But I, I, I've done some studies. I like studying history and I like studying wars and stuff. The guys that made it through that were POWs, POWs is that they would always have hope set, set in front of them. They would think about what they were missing. I, I, I listened to a, a thing about John McCain and how he got through the POW camp. He said all he thought about was a, a, a cheeseburger and fries. And he thought about his family. That builds hope. And you start thinking of God's word, that builds hope and it builds your faith. They work in concert. Hope means a joyful expectation that what God says, he will do. And faith says, I believe that God's going to do it. They work in concert with each other. Let's go back to Jeremiah 29. So God has a plan and a hope and a future, not only for Israel, but for us. Then he says in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek, with me, seek me with all your heart. Man, those songs that we sang tonight, that, God, that's a divine appointment. The way God, I love the way God does things. I need you more, more than yesterday, right? Uh, you are the air I breathe. That's about having a heart that wants to seek after God. You will seek me. The word seek means to pursue until you catch something. That's what that word means. And find me when you seek me with all of your heart heart or all of your being or all that you are. Verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, I'm going to share real, real quick, and this is a little uh, tidbit for this Sunday, but in this, in, in verse 14, it wasn't just for them in captivity, but it was for them later on where God said he would disperse them throughout the world and then one day bring them back to Israel. So, again, God keeps his promises. And Daniel searched the scriptures and he found out, hey, this is it. This is, this is what God's word says. I bet you that built faith and hope in Daniel. All right, let's go back to Daniel here. So then he says this. So Daniel not only searched the scriptures. Like Daniel, when facing a problem, we need to search the Bible for answers. We need to be good Bereans of the Bible. And you can put this in your own notes for the Bereans. I've already talked about this, but Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. So if you want to put that in your notes. Acts 17, verses 10 through 15, where they 
They judged the word when Paul was preaching. They didn't just take his word for it. They searched the scriptures. And I, I expect you guys to do the same thing. I'm preaching up here. I'm not going to get it right all the time. Search the scriptures. Do some study. Right? Is that how you grow in your walk with the Lord? Yeah. So how did Daniel turn to God in prayer? Now let's look at how he turned to God in prayer. Let's look at verse 3 here. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. So first of all, he turned to the Lord. Hey, if you're, in order to pray, you've got to do what? You've got to turn to God. How many of you have not prayed for a while and then it feels a little awkward when you start praying? I've done that before. Oh boy, it's been a while. I, I think I need to get back into some prayer time because then it's a little awkward. It's just like if you haven't seen somebody for a while and you, you, you meet with them, it's a little awkward at first, right? And then you have to break the ice. Guys, the same thing with God. It's called relationship. So he turned to God. He turned to the Lord. Now, the word turn in the Hebrew is panim, and it, it literally means the face as a part of that turns. It means to turn your face towards God's face. It means to seek him. How many of you seek God's hand and not his face? God, what can you give me today? God, I got this problem. Will you answer it? Or do you go to God, God, I just want to spend time with you. Yeah, I've got all these issues, but right now I just want to give you praise. In the Lord's Prayer, what's the first thing he says? Our, right? Our Father, thank you, I almost lost my, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy what? Name. Thank you, Carol. I, I, my brain, I had one of those moments. But hallowed be thy name. It's worship. It's seeking his face. And it doesn't have to be weird or strange. You don't have to go, oh, Lord, you know. Listen, just get before him and say, Lord Jesus, I just worship you. I want to know you. It, it, it's just as simple as telling him how great he is. So hallowed be his name. So it means, it means to turn your face towards his face and to seek him. Look at Psalm 27, 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. This is a psalm. It's a song. Lord, I seek your face. I'm going to set my attention on you. I'm going to set my focus on you. Just you and me. And it can be anywhere. We don't have to just go to, I think I've shared this with you before. How many of you know who John Wesley is? I'm going to share it again. And he, she had 19 kids, and, I, and she lost quite a few of those kids, but she had 19 kids. And you, I, I have three daughters, and it's hard to get peace in the house, especially when they're fighting. She had 19. Charles Wesley and John Wesley were part of that. And you know what she would do? You know where her prayer closet was? She would take her dress and pull it over her head, and they knew when Mama was in the dress, they, she was with Jesus. Her apron. She would pull it over the top of her head and pray to the Lord. So it, it's turning you. So that's what Daniel does. Daniel's he's wondering about his nation. He's, his heart is crying out for his nation. And, he, and the first thing he does is he turns to God and he seeks his face. So how did Daniel turn to God in prayer? Number two, he pleaded with him. Look what it says. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer. Now, the word pleaded comes from the Hebrew word bakash, which is, it means to seek, require, desire, exact, request, to seek to find, 
To seek, to secure, to seek the face, to desire or demand. Wow. That's, that's the original Hebrew definition, the Strong's. To demand. And I don't think it's in a prideful demand. Understand that. It, it's, it's a desire to seek him. God, I'm not going to leave here until I get your attention. I'll share a story just before, just at, when we had just moved up to Washington State. It's about eight years ago. We, had a, we went to a sectional meeting, and one of the pastors at the university, or at Northwest University, the AG school up there, you know, he, he was talking about a young lady that had a disease, and they had a, a prayer and revival going on. And, and she came to the front, and she would not leave until God answered her prayer. She stayed there for hours praying, and people were like, that lady's fervent. She prayed, and she prayed and prayed. Guess what happened to her? She got healed. She got healed. God answered that prayer. God, I think, really is touched by us when, when we're pleading with, when we're seeking him to get a hold of his attention. So how did Daniel turn to God in prayer? He, next thing, he petitioned. So I turned to the Lord God. He turns to his face. I pleaded with him. I sought him. I was seeking him, I was desiring him, I was demanding with, with him in prayer, and, and then petition. The word petition in the Hebrew word is kakanun. Uh, How many of you guys can say that? Kakanun. It, it means earnest prayer, entreaty, supplication with favor. It literally means, again, like what we just said, it's like all these things combined. I'm going to seek his face, I'm going to desire him, and say, God, I need this answer, and I'm not going to leave until I get an answer. But you know this is what we usually do? We come up, we get prayed, and we worry about what other people are thinking. Or our mind gets wandering about other things. Remember that, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, I didn't grow up assemblies, I grew up in the vineyard, but I remember times when services would go till like 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And nobody would leave. And healings would happen. And lives would be changed. And God would do amazing things. Listen, I saw these things as a kid. I saw some amazing things as a kid. I'm so thankful that God let me be a part of the tail end of the Jesus movement. Because I was a part of that. Yeah, I was a kid. Some of you guys are laughing. You were a kid. <laughs> but listen, God wants to do those things again. But how many of us, even forsaking the gathering of ourselves together, Remember when it was a Sunday morning and Sunday night? Thankfully, we still do that, but it was a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We had Thursday nights. You can't even get churches out on Sunday nights anymore. We got to be fervent about our relationship with God. And I'm not here to put guilt on anybody. Understand that. Life gets busy, and some people that with jobs today, you can't go. To, I, I understand that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we need to have a passion for God again, a desire for him. Look what it says, entreaty. Oh, God, hear me. Listen, he's praying for his nation. Do we need to pray for our nation? Yes. Do we need to pray for our kids and the, and the young people today and what they're teaching them in school? We do. The Webster Dictionary defines the meaning of earnest as characterized by or proceeding from an intense or serious state of mind. How many of you guys know Webster was a Christian? He was a believer. So when he writes this, he says it's characterized by proceeding from intensity. When I, when I wrestled in high school, that was intense. 
When I lift weights, that's intense. You're pushing up. That's the idea. You're intense about it. You're determined. You know, it's funny. I watch people, how, how determined people are about going to the gym. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. There's nothing wrong with exercising. But where's your intensity? What takes up the precedence in your life or my life? What's more important? Where's my treasure at? So we need to have the intensity. Paul says exercise is of some value, but godliness is of greater value. Listen to Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. He's talking about petition here. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and what? Petition, intensity. With thanksgiving, sorry, hiccups. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But before that peace can come, we've got to be praying. We've got to be petitioning. We've got to be thankful. Oh, God, touch my needs. Why aren't you doing this for me? Why is this happening? Right? I'm just giving an example. I've done it. Right? It's called complaining. Example of earnest prayer in the Bible. Let's go to an uh, example. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. Look with me in verses 1 through 17. I want, I want to show you the intensity of this and the result of it and how the people respond to it. So Acts chapter 12 in your Bibles, verse 1, it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Do you know this is the first time church is mentioned in Scripture? So if you want to underline it and circle it, this is the first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament. So if anybody says, where did the word church come from? Ah, it's Acts chapter 12. So it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. i got to stop there. This one man was guarded by that many people. And there, I mean, can you imagine? Look, look at it. Uh, four squads. I can't remember what the number is, but it's, it's quite a big a, a bit of number. I mean, that's probably not grammatically correct, but pretty close, right? Uh, that was a lot of guards for one man. Boy, he was a threat. How many of us are a threat to the, to the enemy? Right? So then look at this. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly doing what? Praying to God for him. We're talking about being earnest. They were earnestly, they were praying intensely for him. Do, do we pray intensely for others? Oh man, I, I could just imagine what it's going to be like. I, I'll give you one, one time, we had a, we had a prayer time at our church on, on after, uh, I think it was on Tuesday nights. And my, my mom came and Pastor Dave, my old pastor was there and myself. And I think we had two other people there and we were praying. And, and man, God moved. 
God can move in five people. And the Holy Spirit showed I didn't get home till 12. I had to be up at 4.30 to be to work. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is going to be a long day. We have a big job. We're laying asphalt somewhere. And my mom prayed, and I didn't know that. She interceded me for me for three hours. That's earnest prayer. And I woke up. I didn't know she was praying for me. And I woke up like I had seven cups of coffee. I was energized. I mean, I have never had that feeling since then. And I got up, and I was wide awake, and it was like I didn't even drink coffee that day or a pop. I mean, it was awesome. And then when it was time to go to bed, I crashed, and I slept, and, I, and my mom goes, hey, did you feel any different yesterday? And I said, well, yeah, I did. And I told her, she goes, well, I prayed for three hours that you wouldn't have any problem sleeping or uh, working the next day. That really happened. You can ask my mom anytime she comes here about that. I, I was like, man, pray more like that for me. I don't need any coffee. So they prayed earnestly to God for him. Look at verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And Sentry stood guard at the entrance. So here's all these guards again. He's chained uh, to, two, uh, to two guards. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. <laughs> I like this. Peter was sound asleep. Talk about sleeping in a trial. It was like when Jesus was in the boat, right? He, he was probably snoring. I mean, when, when a, in the original Greek, it literally means the angel had to nudge him to wake him up. That's talking about having peace in God. You're getting ready to go to trial, and you're, you're out, man. So the angel nudges him and says, quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. <laughs> he was probably still half asleep when all this happened. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Notice there was lots of people coming together and doing what? Praying. And remember, they were praying earnestly. That's what Daniel did. Daniel prayed earnestly to God on behalf of his nation and himself. And then look at this. I like this part. This is funny. Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. She left him at the door. <laughs> and then what did they tell him? You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. They didn't believe her. Guys, when we pray, we need to believe that our, answer, our prayers are going to be answered. They didn't believe it. They'd been praying earnestly like, well, we're praying, but I don't think anything's going to happen. Right? Have we ever done that? I'm praying, but no, nah, it's not going to happen to me. Oh, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. That's, that's exactly how they reacted to it. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw, they were astonished. 
Verse 17, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Praise the Lord. Earnest prayer released Peter from prison. I've heard stories of how God has released people. Uh, that guy, that uh, Keith Wheeler, that carried the cross, he said one time he was going through and they were, he was on an airplane. I think I might have shared the story, but I'm going to share it again because it's a good story. It's a good illustration. He was on an airplane, and next to him were missionaries. And they asked him what, what he did. He goes, well, I carry a cross all over the world. I take it into these countries and this country and that country. And then, and then he said, well, they asked him where he was going now. He goes, well, I'm, I'm getting ready to go. I think he, at the time he was getting ready to go into Saudi Arabia. Well, I went to Saudi Arabia in 99, and they're the most fundamentalist of the Islamic faith. In fact, we smuggled our Bibles, in if, and, and, and we could have gotten in trouble for that. And they will cut your head off. They will cut your hands off. I mean, I'm serious. They really do that to this day. And so they said, well, you can't do that. The missionary said that to him. He goes, no, I'm doing that. Well, you can't just walk in there. Yes, I can. You can't do that. Here's missionaries telling him he can't. He takes his cross. He's walking to the gate to go into Saudi Arabia. They just lift it up and he walks right through and they close the gate and don't, don't even do anything with him. And he ministered to people in Saudi Arabia, led some people to the Lord. That's a true story. That's God. We need to believe that God will answer our prayers. Let's go back to Daniel here. I think we're only going to get through a few more things here tonight. So, <clears throat> they prayed earnestly. And then they prayed in fasting. How did Daniel turn to God in prayer? He prayed with fasting. Fasting can be very difficult. Right? It's saying no to the flesh. It's telling your flesh that it has no control. And it's focusing on your relationship with God. Now, look what Jesus said. Mark 9, 29. So he said to them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, he's talking about demons, but I believe that there's certain things that only will be changed through what? Fasting. And so the more we pray and fast, God can move. I've heard awesome stories. Todd Smith, I think I've shared with you guys about Todd Smith. He did a 21-day revival, and, and uh, he's the one that God uses revival on the water, and people have gotten healed and saved. It's not the water that heals. God's just using that as a tool, right? Just like he uses your hands to pray for somebody, right? And people have been supernaturally healed, a, a senator with cancer all through her body. Got, I, I, she was already a believer, but she ended up getting healed and cleared. And uh, <clears throat> for 21 days he fasted. And he was struggling, his church was struggling. They would only baptized one person that year. He was frustrated because the church across the street was stealing the sheep from his church. And he got into a fight with the other pastor, and that happens. He was upset with that pastor, called him on the carpet. They almost got into blows. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like the disciples, doesn't it? <clears throat> so he did this fast, and God, he just was walking up on the stage, and they had a baptismal like ours, and, and God says, I'm going to use the water, water and fire, to bring revival. Well, the end of the 21-day fast came, nothing happened, and he got frustrated and irritated, so he wrote up his resignation letter. Saturday, you remember this? I shared this on a Sunday morning. He slid it across the board, and all of a sudden he gets a phone call right then. 
and an Assemblies of God friend of his said, God told me last night not to resign. God's getting ready to move. So the board looks at him, he looks at him, and he pulls the resignation letter back. Within a few days, God began to move, and people started getting saved and healed and set free. And now it's moved throughout the country. Fasting. Look what Jesus says here in Matthew 6, 16 through 18. It's going to be easier for me to read it from here. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to be men, uh, appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What's interesting here, Jesus said in, this, in that scripture, when we fast, not if we fast. Now, not everybody can go without food. But you can fast other things, right? Whatever masters you. If you're a diabetic, you can't go without food. Or if you're a hyperglycemic, you know, unless God does a supernatural thing in your body, right? Like Moses. I mean, do you know Moses went 80 days? If you read the scriptures, it's 40 and 40. That had to have been a, that's called manna from heaven. So it's not if you fast, but when you fast. Now, I'll be honest, I struggle with fasting. I wrestled in high school. I used to cut weight, and it's difficult for me. I used to, when I'd cut weight, I'd dream about food. The nastiest water looked good to me. So my body has this defense mechanism that's set into it from from fasting all those years for wrestling, that it's like, uh-uh, I ain't going without food again. So you have to fight against those things. But it can be anything, something that is dear to you that your flesh likes. So how did Daniel turn to God in prayer? Not only did he fast, and we're going to finish with this one, he put on sackcloth and put on ashes on his head. So why sackcloth and ashes? Now, I, I got a good commentary on this because I could have wrote something up. Sackcloth was a coarse kind of cloth, and this is my own writing. Sackcloth was a coarse kind of cloth, usually made of hair and employed for the purpose of making sacks, bags, etc., as it was dark and coarse. No, it's Barnes's. I thought it was mine. And rough. It was regarded as a proper badge of mourning and humiliation. It was worn as such, usually by passing or girding it around the loins. So it was kind of like putting, how many of you guys have seen a burlap bag? Yeah. You ever put one of those on before? You ever wear a wool? I never understood why the military gave us wool socks and wool shirts. They itch. They scratch. So if any time I had, these, I had this wool uh, sweater that the military gave me, brown, and really nice. But I'd have to wear a long sleeve shirt under it. Or man, I would get like almost rug burns from that thing. And I'd get them around the neck. But that's what it was. It was a sign of humiliation. It was a sign of coming before God and saying, God, I'm mourning over this. Daniel was mourning over the situation of his, of his nation. We should be mourning over the situation of our nation. We should be weeping before God and praying for and interceding for our nation. We should be doing that for our kids and the next generation coming up because we're losing a whole generation to Christ. They're, they're not coming to Christ. More are leaving the church than coming in. 40 million people left the church in the last decade. We need to be praying for our nation, just like Daniel did. 
It was customary to cast ashes on the head in a time of great grief and sorrow. The principles on which this was done seem to have been that the external appearance should correspond with the state of mind and heart. And that such external circumstances would have a tendency to produce a state of heart corresponding to them or would produce true humiliation and repentance for sins. Barnes again. So they would put ashes on in the Old Testament. The Jews would do that to show I'm in repentance. Now we don't do that today, but we can still do some of those things that he did. In the New Testament, we don't put on sackcloth and ashes on us to mourn our sin. However, we can come before God with weeping, mourning, and repentance. Look at James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. One translation says he will lift you up in due time. Now, that doesn't mean we're always about mourning and crying and stuff, but I think that we need to come before God in repentance, even over our own sin. God, help me change. God, search my heart. My daughter, I, one of my daughters, I'm not going to mention names, but I, was, I had said something, I, I, I talked to her in the wrong way yesterday. And I, can I tell you, it was really hard for me to admit that I was wrong. I didn't realize that. She told me what it was. It took me a while to get over the irritation of it. But I finally had to admit, no, nope, she was right. So I think it's eventually coming to the point where we accept responsibility for our actions, turn from it, admit. It's called admitting. God, I'm wrong. God, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. I don't know about you, but I remember a lot of services used to have repentance services. Just come forward and repent. Every great revival, if you'll, if you'll study every great revival, started with prayer and usually involved repentance. Every great revival. I've studied a lot of different revivals. The Welsh revival. It started with prayer, the preaching of the word, and repentance. Tommy Tinney. Now, I, 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 I'm not going to get into his denominational beliefs or that. That's not what's important, but God used him. And when God poured out his spirit, how many of you have read the book, The God Chasers? It's a good book. It really happened. He was preaching and he was asked to go preach for a friend of his at a church. And he was preaching. And that pastor says, I feel like God wants to do something here. Will you stay some more days? And so he stayed a few more days. And Tommy said the day that God was getting, the, the day that God really moved in that congregation, he really sensed like something was going to happen. So the pastor says, do you want to say something? He goes, no, I don't. And he walked down there and he walked down by the sound booth. And all of a sudden the pastor says one scripture from the word and the plexiglass, uh, and you can still look that up today, the plexiglass pulpit that he had split in two. You heard a huge pow, the pastor was thrown 10 feet back and people ran to the altars in repentance. He said people were stopping on the highway on their knees in repentance. He said people would get to the church they won't even step across the threshold and be on their knees weeping in repentance. Jonathan Edwards, if you read stories about Jonathan Edwards, 
Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That he, he didn't even preach. He just Could you imagine me as your pastor just reading like this? And, and that's why he just read that. And, and people were holding on to poles thinking that, and they said that it looked like hell was opening up. And they were repenting and saying, I don't want to go to hell. And they were running to the altars. He would drive through on trains, through towns, and people in bars just from the move of the Holy Spirit would fall on their knees crying out for salvation. When the Brownsville revival happened in 1995-96, we had the youth pastor from Brownsville come to Ellendale, North Dakota, Trinity Bible College, AG school. I was in the military. We went down to, uh, to listen to him. And he said that, when, when that happened, when the revival broke out, it was happening in the schools. It started in the schools. Kids were falling down on their faces, crying out for repentance. And the teachers didn't know what to do. So they started calling pastors from the area to come to minister to the kids. And kids were getting saved. We need to pray that God does that again. And God can do it with just a few people. Do you know the, the, the revival that started the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, was a group, I think, of 11 or 12, I think it was ladies that were getting together and just praying for revival. You look at a lot of the revivals, the one that happened at the Cleveland Assembly of God back in the 30s, it was just a group of people praying that revival would break out. Just a group of people, and God honored their prayers. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, Jim Simblett, anybody know who that is? Everybody knows of the Brooklyn guy. That was his church. His church grew from prayer. It grew from prayer. They just began to pray. They began to see God. That's what Daniel did. That's what God wants from us. Are we a praying people? Are we seeking the Lord? And I'm speaking to myself tonight. Am I praying enough? And it's not about so much quantity as much as quality. When we're praying, our, where's our focus? Where's our heart? What's the direction that God has for us? So as we study Daniel's prayer, there's some things that we can learn from him. One, we need to plead with him. God, I come before you. I turn and seek your face. We need to petition him, desire him, seek him until we get a hold of him. Maybe try some fasting. God, will you fast? Maybe some of you guys need to fast. And then... Do a spiritual sackcloth and ashes. Now, don't physically do that. I mean, that would look, I would, sorry, I'd be like, really? <laughs> sorry, no, I, I'm just kidding with you. But do a spiritual one. God, I come before you humbly. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the what? The humble. Let's, let's finish real quick. I know we're a little over. Let, can we go to 2 Chronicles 7, 14? This is not in my notes. Let's go there. Next week, we'll look at Daniel Confesses. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and we'll end with that one. Now, I understand that not all scriptures apply to us because they were for the Israelites and all this stuff. But listen, I really still believe a lot of the scriptures apply to us. Did that make sense to you, what I just said? Some, well, some people believe that they don't apply. But I think we, they can. In fact, I just heard from... Uh, before we read this scripture, remember the day of turn? It was about a few years ago. Um, and uh, Jonathan Kahn stood up there and all these people came to Washington to pray. It was during the election. Remember all the Christians went to Washington and they also prayed about abortion. Well, 
they read this scripture and they prayed this scripture and they prayed turn the minute they prayed that prayer God sent an answer for the abortion thing and it was overturned and I can't go into all the details because I don't remember all of them but if you watch the thing on Jonathan Kahn how he talks about that it was to the moment that they prayed or then they prayed that prayer that God overturned Roe versus Wade if, if you don't think God answers prayer, he does. I mean, he goes, that's one thing I like about him. He goes through the date and the times and everything, and he shows you what happened and what was being prayed at that time. And so if you don't think your prayers are powerful, they are powerful and effective. So let's look at the scripture, and we're going to close with this. Let's start, let's start up here in verse 11, okay? This is Solomon. God appears to Solomon. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and, and had succeeded in carrying all, out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I love this, God is saying this to Solomon. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is saying this to us. I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When you gave your life to Jesus, God put his spirit in you. He heard from heaven. Verse 13, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people who are called by my name, guys, you are called by Jesus' name, will humble themselves. It takes humility to be go before God and say, God, we're messed up and we need help will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attended to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. I love this. This is Old Testament, but it's symbolic of you and I. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, we, and God's name resides within us. And so if God's name resides in us, how powerful are our prayers? Very powerful. And it doesn't have to be pretty prayers. I re, I, when I got licensed... There was a guy standing beside me, and, and it, I'm not here to pick on anybody. Everybody prays differently. But it, was, it almost seemed fake. It was, oh, Lord, oh, God. Now, I see some people do pray, but they mean it from the heart. But there was something that just didn't strike me right about this. Well, that guy later on, up in, Tul in the Tulsa area, and I'm not going to say the name or anything, because, one, I don't remember it, but he ended up taking his wife's life and his own life. If I would have known at that time, I would have prayed for him and interceded for him, and I probably should have, but I was still young and about myself. But it doesn't have to be pretty prayers. It has to come from the heart. It has to come from the heart. Now, again, I can't judge his heart, so I don't know if his heart was that, but it just seemed weird to me. Although I need to be careful about that because a guy preached one time and I thought it was cheesy, and then it was at a men's break. It was actually over here at the Arbuckle when you guys still had your camp here. And they had a men's deal here, and he was doing this, and God's, and, and I, I thought in my mind, oh, man, this is cheesy, right? And all of a sudden, he goes, and this is, I know a lot of people make fun of me, but this is the way I preach, and this is the way God made me. And I went, oh. <laughs> so I knew God was calling me on the carpet. But here's the deal. We need to humble ourselves before God. 
We need to pray. We need to seek his face. We need to turn from our own sin. And when we do that, God will not only hear from heaven, but he will forgive our sin and he'll bring healing to the land. It's time for the church to do that. He's not calling for unbelievers to do that because they don't know him. He's calling for his church, and when his church does that, what's God going to do for the land? So, hallelujah. What are you going to do this week? What am I going to do this week? Spend more time with Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the, your word. And Lord, I don't have it all together. None of us do. And I just pray, Father, that you will remind us how important prayer is. Father, help us to pray more. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Give us a desire to seek your face. To set our focus and our attention on you, Jesus. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be strengthened in our inner being. To pray on behalf of others. To always keep on praying for the saints and pray on all occasions. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to set aside a time just for you. A, a prayer closet or prayer room or that like the movie is the war room that we pray and we intercede and we stand in the gap for others that we are our brother and sister's keeper help us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ help us to pray for our neighbor that needs Jesus help us to pray for our president whether we agree with him or not whether he's doing right or wrong, Lord, we're to pray for him. That's what your scripture says. Pray for those that are in authority over you. God, we pray for them. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our nation. We pray for our community and the leaders in the community. We pray for our leaders in the assemblies of God. God, we pray for this church. And Lord, we pray that you would move in our hearts and our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday. And if, you, if, if people don't know about Wednesday night, just let them know about it. Hey, we got Wednesday night service, right? Amen? All right, have a great day.